Welcome. Welcome to Parkview. We're glad you're here. I pray for all of us to be rooted. My name's Tim. I'm the pastor. I'm glad you're here. All of our campuses online. Um, I do a lot of reading. I think a leader is a reader. You've got to, you, you've got to do that. I, I read, uh, you know, Christian stuff. I read leadership stuff. I read history. Uh, I think if we don't study history, we're doomed to repeat it. Uh, and um, so this summer, I was able to read a book on uh, World War II. It was really fascinating. I'm in the middle of a book right now on the Civil War. And then I wake up and I look in my papers and, you know, I look online and um, how, how can we still be here? Isn't that your question? I mean, how does Charlottesville, Virginia s- still happening? It, it, just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, 150 years after the Civil War, I mean, uh, after, after we fought against Nazism, and, and yet here we are. And I just want, I want to just call it out right now and say how frustrated I am and how I want to pray uh, for all of us. I want to do that at the beginning. Um, if I don't pray, I'm going to start preaching and use bad words, and, and um, that's not going to be good for anybody. So so I just want to say uh, to all of us, uh, I hope you understand that all people are God's children, regardless of how they're made up, regardless of what their problems, what their issues, what the color of their skin, what their good things, what their qualities are. All of us are God's children. And until we really learn to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and actually start doing something about it, we're doomed to be continually repeating the same history over and over again, and it's not right. So let's pray. God, I just want to pray for us right now. I pray for the people of Virginia because I know they hate, almost all of them hate the fact that they're the ones that were targeted for this event. And, um, and, and Lord, I know they're angry people. One of the things I, I, I learned from studying history is that even on the side of what in history we can look back on and see is right, there are people who are, are, are hating, even on the side that is right. And there are people, obviously, on the side that is wrong that are haters. And, and Lord, that is just the opposite of what you want us to live on and live in here on this earth. I pray for, uh, for the people who just feel, people of color, whatever it is, that feel like this is, here we go again, they're doing this to me. I am a person of color, even though it's white. Um, I pray for those of us who are in that category, um, that we will understand that um, we're, we're facing the same thing. It, it, we're facing the same demon, and it's a demon, it's, it's from the pits of hell, that tells me that I'm better than somebody else. And that's just wrong. And Lord, I just pray for healing um, for our country. I pray for healing for uh, the people maybe in this room that are still feeling, uh, reeling from these things. Lord, I just pray for our church. Help us to stand up and do something about it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So just imagine for a moment what it would be like to be there. Okay. What would it be like to be there? Okay. The place where, like in your quiet moments, you think, I wish I could be there in my life. Okay. Just, just think for a second. Maybe for you, it's a negative that you wish could be a positive. You know, there, I wish I could be there in my life is, I wish I'd stop smoking or I wish I could stop drinking or stop my addiction to sugar or fake book or whatever it is that I got going. I wish I, I just wish I could be there. 
Or maybe for you, it's finances, okay? I wish I could be debt-free in my life. I wish I could be able to retire in my life. I wish I could be able to give like I want to give. I wish I would be able to own my own home. I wish I would be able to own a home in Indiana instead of Illinois. (laughs) Nothing to say. Uh, Well, maybe it's relationships, right? Like, I wish I could be a parent. I wish we could have kids. I I wish we could adopt. I wish I could be married. Let's leave it there. Don't go for the rest of it. And maybe it's about your health, okay? You know, that's a big thing for us. I wish I could be, some people would say heavier, okay? Uh, Most people would say lighter in my life, right? I wish I could have more muscle. I wish I could have less non-muscle. Let's not use the F word. Less of that, right? Somebody sent this to me. Bob forgot his wedding anniversary, and uh, his wife was really mad at him. She said, listen, buddy, tomorrow morning there better be a present in the driveway that can go zero to 200 in less than six seconds. Are you following me? Zero to 200 in less than six seconds. It better be there. Next morning she woke up. There was a gift box. She looked out the window in the driveway. Um, Didn't look big enough to be a car, so curious. She went out and unwrapped it to find a new bathroom scale. Bob has been missing since Friday. <laughs> what, whatever it is, okay, whatever that, that I wish I could be there in my life place is, okay, uh, you know that you could cross out I wish I could and you could write will be that place in my life if you wanted to. It's not impossible. You just have to get a plan. Like let's just go back to the health thing. If it's weight and muscle, you might want to get a personal trainer, I know this is hard for you to believe, but I used to go to a personal trainer. If you're new, you probably don't know that I had rotator cuff surgery four months ago, and I haven't been able to work out, you know, like I used to. This is what I used to look like, and I don't, I don't look like that anymore. <laughs> but hopefully I can get back there, okay? The, the truth is, um, I, I could look like that if I needed to. I would just need to stick to a plan, Right? Obviously, I don't want to bad enough. Several years ago, I was working out with some trainer friends in a, in a workout class, and it was like when whey protein shakes were first becoming you know, popular, and they were telling you to you know, get more protein in. And the trainer was talking about how you just take a little protein powder and mix it up with water and then a little shaker cup thing and have it you know, midday, and it'll help you, you know, as you build muscle, lose weight, all those things. And I was like, ah, I, can't, I can't stomach it with just water. i got to put milk in it. You know, and, and it, so this, cl- this class is all around. Of course, I'm a big mouth. I'm, you know, half the people were from our church, you know, and I was just, just kind of jawing it up with this guy. And I mean, he's just like, no, just try it with water. I promise you it's going to be better. And I'm just like, ah, just drink milk. He's never going to know. And, and, and finally, Darren goes, hey, I don't come into your place and say, oh, you know, adultery, it's no big deal. <laughs> he had a good point, Right. And I started thinking about it. I thought, yeah, well, I guess that's true. You know, it starts with a little bit of milk, and then, you know, then you get some chocolate syrup and, you, you know, some marshmallows and a little Captain Morgan, and pretty soon you're like, this is a good protein shake, man. I like this. Yeah, because it's not a protein shake. It's a mudslide. Are you following me? That's what, that's what happens if you don't stick to a plan. That's why I don't look like that. So, so what about your soul? That's my question for you. Uh, what would I wish I could be like be in your spiritual self? I mean, if that's the one thing that's going to live on forever, you know, is our soul, then maybe that is the there we really ought to think about from time to time. 
like the faith version of what does it look like to be healthy? What would it be like if you had such a faith? And I'm not there, and you know, most of us aren't there. What would it be like to have such a faith where when bad things happen, you could, you could mourn, you could grieve, whatever need that happen. You could say, I can't believe this is going on. But you could then turn around to God and say, God, I don't blame you for this. I know there's evil in the world, and I know you didn't cause this, and I know you're with me, and I know you have a plan, and it is well with my soul. What would it be like to have that kind of faith? What would it be like to have the kind of faith where when there's a huge temptation that comes your way, you would have such faith in God that you could say, God, you and I are going to walk away from this right now. What would it be like to have such a faith that when something, this is where Satan tricks people a lot, something great happens, something really good happens in your life, you can say, wow, God, this is amazing, and this is great, and I know it came from you, but I'm not going to let this change the way that I am or the way that I live. I'm still going to trust in you and not this good thing. What if you had that amazing out-of-the-box kind of a faith? And as I ask you that question, probably some of you are like, nah, that was grandma. Right, or that was some saintly person that I know that I that I knew in my life, you know, father so and so, or or somebody in your life, a pastor, maybe some family member, or somebody. You go, man, that person was such a person of faith. Let me tell you something. Everything else in your life, all those other, I wish I could be there in my life goals, would be met a lot easier if we had that kind of a faith. Everything about our lives and our relationships, our money, our anxiety, our outlook, our friends, our work, our school, anything, everything would be impacted if we woke up one day with that kind of a faith. I think that's probably the best their place that we could be. I wish I could have faith in God in my life. I wish I could do that. But you know what I'm going to say, right? Nobody wakes up one day and has a, a deep and abiding faith any more than you wake up and have bigger biceps, okay? If all you do is drink faith mudslides all day, it's never going to happen. You could turn I wish I could into I will have faith in God in my life, but you have to have a plan. You have to partner with God to make this happen. We're introducing to our church uh, a new experience, a 10-week experience called Rooted. And we're preaching on it this month, but we're also doing this 10-week plan, this 10-week experience for you that is going to help you to be able to grow in your faith like never before. 350 people from Parkview have already been through it in a pilot phase to sign up to be leaders to, to help lead you. And we're going to do it in September and then January and then April. And pretty soon it's going to be just the, it's going to be the way where when you're new, you walk in and you say, how do I get involved? We're going to say, you go to Rooted. Just go to Rooted. That's what we want you to do. Because it's a 10-week experience where you get together in a small group and in a large group teaching at your campus, whatever campus you worship at, and you get together with these people, and it gives you the ability to, to grow in your faith over 10 weeks. Now, it's an investment, obviously, and it's going to take some intentionality on your point and on your part. And we're going to talk about the same things that probably you know we're going to talk about that are going to develop your faith, like what we're doing these five weeks here. It's going to be all of that. But, but it's, it's, it's something about the experience of doing it together for me was probably the most faith-impacting thing that I've ever done in my life. I've done it twice now. Um, uh, my daughter's church out in California has been doing this for years. And my daughter and her husband, when they 
first got married, they got into a rooted group, and, and, and they became such good friends with those people in 10 weeks that by the end of the 10 weeks, they were, they were in each other's weddings. I mean, they were, they were that close, and they're still meeting together, and it's a beautiful experience to help get our people connected. You know, if you've been around here for a while, that our goal is to reach people for Jesus, then raise them up to be followers of Jesus, and then release them to go do ministry. Reach, raise, and release. It's what we're always doing here. And this is a part of helping you and your faith get developed and move into the place where you need it to go. I want everybody to go through it. If you can't do it in September, I want you to do it in January. And we're probably going to fill up the spots before you know we have enough room for everybody because that's the way it's going to go. Two and a half hours, one night a week on Monday nights for 10 weeks. And um, it's going to cost you 50 bucks because there's some materials and some stuff you need along the way. It's going to cost you some comfort. It's going to cost you some time. But I guarantee you it will be worth it. And it's just to just consider it a workout class for your faith, and we all need it, okay? So what we're talking about here in these five weeks of the Rooted series are the five catalysts. Andy Stanley calls them the five catalysts of things that God uses to grow us in our life. We have providential relationships. Pastor Todd talked about that last week where we connect, right? And that's very important. And today we're going to talk about personal ministry where we serve and how that grows our faith. Next week, practical teaching, which is about how we grow. And we'll talk about that. Private disciplines, and that's about prayer and how that works along the way and then pivotal circumstances this is God's part where he brings circumstances along the way but we take them and we share with other people as they happen in our life so today we're talking about personal ministry and I could talk about personal ministry very easily from the aspect of if we don't do it needs won't get met like if you don't get involved and sign up for find your fit and do all those kinds of things then there will be needs that aren't met and that is Maybe true, maybe not, because God's bigger than all of those needs. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't want you to think about that. I want you to be selfish today and think about how can I grow my faith? How can I get to that their place in my faith that, that makes a difference for me? Just think about that. And I'm in Matthew 14. If you've got your smartphone or your Bible or whatever, <clears throat> two different miracles that you probably have heard maybe at some point before, and I want to talk about both of them because they both have the same common thing that happens in the middle of it as our faith gets developed. When Jesus <clears throat> heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat to a private, to, to a solitary place. What happened? His cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed by Herod, beheaded. Okay, Jesus could have stopped it. Um, Jesus knew that this was what needed to happen, that it was time, and he didn't jump in and do anything about it. But he's mourning because he and his cousin John were close. John was the forerunner. And he's mourning, and he wants to go be by himself. But it's hard for Jesus to be by himself. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. If you wonder why I get away from here, some in the summer, some of it is because I have other things I need to do, places to speak and such. Some of it is family time because my family doesn't live around here. And some of it is, frankly, I need to be somewhere where the crowds aren't. I mean, that's, that's important. It's important for everybody. Jesus knew that. So Jesus is heading across the lake to be by himself. And they just walk around the edge of the lake because Jesus has already started healing people. You know, like, Jesus, you may be mourning and stuff, and that's, that's your business, but I've got a problem, and I need you. Okay, that's what's going on. When Jesus landed and he saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. 
send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy some food. You have to wonder here if the people were hungry or the disciples were hungry, don't you? You know, I mean, or, you know, come on, Jesus, can you wrap this up so we can go to Cracker Barrel? I need some chicken fry right about now. I, I don't know what it was, but Jesus, here's where, here's where it gets important. Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You do something. You give them something to eat. Okay, this is, the, this is the tension that we live in, that somebody has a need that needs to be met, and you know that there's a need, and your heart kind of goes out to them, but you know you don't have the resources to help them. So, so, so what do you do? Well, I'm just praying for those people. And it, it, as you're praying for those people, as you're praying for that situation, God is saying, uh, why don't you do something about it? And your reaction, my reaction, is always the same thing. I Seriously, I don't, I don't have the time. I don't have the resources to do what needs to get done. I get that. The disciples did exactly the same thing. They said, Jesus, how are we going to feed 5,000 plus people with five loaves of bread and two fish? How are we going to do that? Read that as, come on, Jesus, we didn't know Woodstock was happening here, okay? We can't do anything about it. Jesus said, bring it to me. Bring them here to me. Bring me what you do have. I'm not asking you, God is not ever going to ask you for what you don't have. Just bring me what you do. Do you have what time do you have? What resources do you have? What knowledge and skills do you have? And Jesus directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks, and he broke the loaves, and he gave it to the disciples. And somewhere in the middle of all this, many of you have heard this story before, somehow more than five loaves and two fish appear. Uh, whenever I read a passage or teach a passage, I always want to think a little bit differently about, you know, maybe there's something in there that I, that I haven't noticed before or a question that I haven't asked about that passage before. And my question this week in that passage was, where did it happen? I mean, what, if five loaves and two fish went to, you know, however many thousands needed to be there to feed that many people, where did it happen? I mean, was Jesus, was it Jesus? Was he like just like shooting out, you know, fish and bread like Spider-Man? Tilapia, here's some salmon, here's some pumpernickel. Uh, uh, was, it, was it coming out of him? And I don't think it was because that's usually not what happened. When Jesus participates in a miracle with somebody, it's usually as those people participate in the miracle that the miracle happens. So I want to tell you that, and this is not in the text, I can't prove it, I have no idea, but I believe that the actual multiplication miracle was happening in the hands of the disciples. They brought what they had, and as it was being passed out, it just kept multiplying. When you feel like God is asking you to do something, don't make excuses, just bring what you have. Whenever I teach other pastors, I usually talk to them about the issue of challenging their people because it is the hardest thing as a pastor to do. I mean, preaching funerals is difficult. There's, you know, there's counseling. There's other things that is difficult. But one of the hardest things to do, especially publicly, is to challenge people to, to give or to serve or to pray or to be in community, right? These five things that we're talking about in the month of August. It's hard to challenge people because sometimes it feels like you're a personal trainer for faith for a group of people that weren't sure why they signed up for this class in the first place. 
But I tell the pastors, here's why this is so important. Because what is at stake here is not the needs that are going to be met or not met because they did something about it. What's important here, what's at stake here is their faith as they get involved. That's why it's so important. I tell pastors, if you don't have any reason to do a a campaign to raise funds for a project, make something up. Because it is when people are challenged between the God of money and the God of, of the universe and they have to pick where their treasure is and their heart is, that's when people grow. If you don't have need for people to serve in your congregation, then go find some things that you can get involved in that your congregation, so you can challenge people to serve. Because, not because of those needs or those projects, because the people need to have their faith stretched and they need to grow and it's never going to work. You look at the history of Christianity, you look anywhere where something great has been done for God and you will find a bunch of people that were inadequate, that only had a limited amount of resources that said, God, we don't know what we're doing, but we're going to trust you and we're going to bring you what we have and they're, they're, the, the, the thing just blew up. Whatever was happening, God just blew up and those people's faith grew. They ate and they were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And normally we look at this miracle by itself because there's so much teaching in this thing, you know, just bring me what you have, and God is the God of miracles who will multiply it. But I don't want to do that today because there's, the next word is immediately in the Gospel of Matthew, okay? The, the next word is right there immediately. Two things are happening. And here's what you need to know. Jesus is getting ready to leave. I mean, he only had three years period, and he's well into it at this point, and he's got these guys for just a, a, a few months later, a few months more, where he's going to be able to, he's going to turn over the kingdom of God to these people. And if he turns the kingdom of God over to people that are just sitting around waiting for bread and fish to fall down from the sky, the kingdom is going to die, because that is not the way God works. God is in the multiplication business, not the dumping business. So he has to teach them. So note the word immediately. Jesus made the disciples get to the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Like, you guys go on over there. I'm, I'm going to go be by myself. And he dismissed the crowd, which would have been, you know, really interesting. How do you dismiss a crowd where you've just fed all them miraculously and you've just healed all of them? I mean, nobody, you know, nobody's going to go rolling away from that one. After he dismissed them, he went on a mountainside to pray. I believe how that went was Jesus said, okay, drive safe, everybody. Have a great night. And there were crickets. Nobody moved. Nobody left. So he dropped the mic and he ran for the hills, you know. And I, he may have even had that like Harry Potter cloak thing or something, done some miracle to get away from them. Because the next thing we find, the next time we find him is he's by himself to pray. He finally finds a time to be able to be by himself to pray. Now the disciples are out in the boat. Okay? They're out in the boat, already considerable distance from the land. They're, they're, it says they're buffeted by the waves because the wind is against it. So they're tired, they're struggling, and they've been out there all night long, right? During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the water, walking on the lake. And when the dis- <laughs> when, when the disciples saw, I, I, I just got to make fun of this. Probably would have had the same reaction, but I don't know. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. 
and cried out in fear. Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. I'm, I'm, I'm using those voice inflections because I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just imagining that Jesus is probably a little bit frustrated at this point. You know? Like, a ghost? Really? What is this, Scooby-Doo? <laughs> Shaggy, do you really think I'm a ghost? I mean, could you maybe realize that if something miraculous is happening, like something as crazy as somebody walking on the water, that's maybe it's me, you know, the guy who does miracles. I mean, why would that not come into your brain? Like, I just got done feeding all those people, all these miracles I've done. Well, why? A ghost, I don't understand. Either way, Peter gets it. Peter's like, who is the good guy, the, the preppy guy on Scooby-Doo? Yeah, that guy, okay? He, he was a preppy guy who never believed in ghosts and decided he was going to do the right thing. He's, Peter's like, well, Jesus does miracles, and he can do them through me, so let's see what I can do with this, right? Here we go. Lord, if it's you, and I really hope that it's you, Peter said, tell me to come to you in the water. This is so important, okay? Peter is a very impetuous person. Peter's the guy who pulls the sword out in the garden and starts whacking at people and cuts the guy's ear off because he's just like, oh, they're here. Boom. I mean, that's who he is. Peter's the first guy to speak whenever Jesus asks a question. Peter's personality is a lot like mine. Shoot first and ask questions later. That's who Peter is. But this is one time where you've got to be really proud of what Peter did because Peter sees Jesus walking on the water and he thinks, man, I wonder if I could walk on the water, but instead of jumping out of the boat, he waits and he asks Jesus for confirmation if that's what he wants to have happen. I want to encourage you on this one because there's been a lot of stuff done in the name of, you know, I'm just following Jesus that was really stupid, that God didn't really want to have happen in the first place. Okay, so Peter stopped and he asked, because if Jesus doesn't want him out of the boat, Peter's just going to drown. If Jesus asks me to do what I can do, then Jesus is going to do what he can do, and it could be amazing. So what does Jesus do? He says, yeah, come on. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came to Jesus. <laughs> Andy Stanley said, do you know what Peter did? He did the same thing that he did when Jesus passed out the fish and the bread. Peter said, I don't know how to walk on water, but I know how to get out of a boat and I know how to walk. And that's where my limitations are. That's the end of my limitations. So I'll do what I know how to do. And I know that if I get out of the boat, uh, I know how to walk if Jesus does something about this. So Jesus invites me. I'm going to see... <clears throat> I'm going to see what Jesus will do and do what Jesus can do on my behalf. Now, folks, Andy Stanley said, <clears throat> this is the Christian experience to a great degree. I dare you to start praying the Peter prayer. Lord, please invite me out of my comfort zone. Please invite me out of my comfort zone because I think, I think something needs to happen here. God, I want you to use me in the lives of other people, but not just my idea. I want the assurance that you are inviting me out of my comfort zone. And then, Jesus, I'm going to do what I know how to do, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do. For some of you, that might mean something crazy. <clears throat> We've got a young lady I just talked to in our congregation who's going to Guinea um, to help Bible translators in remote 
places. And she's finishing up her fundraising to go do that. The truth is, it made me moving away. It, it did for my kids. I mean, I, I complain about my kids living in California and Nashville, but it's my fault because I taught them to listen to the voice of God. And if God wants them to be involved in the ministries that they're at, uh, two of them are involved in churches in L.A. And, and one of them is involved in Nashville. If that's where they think God wants them to be, then that's where my grandkids are going to grow up. You understand? At the same time, for me, it means living here. I mean, listening to the voice of God means living here and continuing to live here and continuing to, to, to serve as the leader of this church for many more years. That's what it means for me. For some of you, it means beginning a new organization. For some of you, it may mean uh, launching into somebody else's organization. For some, it might mean adoption. For some, it might mean safe families. For some, it might mean getting involved in something. There's, there's something tugging at your heart that you know God has been tugging at your heart. He's already been inviting you. And you're praying the pre Peter prayer, and you're going to say, Jesus, I, I, I'm, I'm ready to get out of my comfort zone. Let's go. For some of you, it may mean something as simple as getting involved in finding your fit. Pull this card back out, would you? I mean, I know that not everybody's cut out for children's. I know that not everybody's cut out for anything one way or another. We don't expect that to happen. But, but you should be involved in this church because there's a lot of great stuff that needs to happen. And forget about all the lot of great stuff that needs to happen. If you want a beginning place for your faith, then sign up and do something. Do something. You're like, well, I don't know if I've got the right gifts or abilities or whatever. Can you fill out a form? It's really that. That's all Jesus is saying. Come and fill out a form. Come and walk down the hallway. Put this form in the, in the box on the way out or in one of the baskets. I dare you to just give it a try. That's all. It's that simple. And it's not about the needs to get met. It's about you and your faith. You know the story, probably, a lot of you, what happened when he saw the wind, that's the excuse, that, that, that's the, oh, I, I forgot, I can't do this. He's already doing it, but he sees the wind, I can't do this. He was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, you of little, say that word, faith. This is what we're talking about. Why did you doubt? That's what it's all about, little faith. If you don't trust me, or if you trust me and then you quit trusting me, that's doubt and that's not faith and that's not where you're going to live. It's like, you know, back to the health thing, Peter stopped working out and for some reason his health didn't go the way he thought it was going to. I don't think Jesus is chastising Peter. There are 11 other people in this boat that didn't get out in the first place. But if you don't do something to partner with it, your faith is never going to go anywhere. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And when the wind died down and they realized it was Jesus and he'd walked on the water and he'd fed people and multiplied the fish and the bread, they said, truly, you are the son of God. But you don't get to have that moment. You don't ever get to have that truly you are God in my life unless you bring what you have and partner with him in faith, in the faith journey. Listen. And this principle is huge. If you're, whatever campus you're listening to me at, whatever online, wherever you are, however you're involved in Parkview, the experience of Parkview was a, a group of people who, who didn't have much more than five loaves or two fish at many different places along the way. 
building in, in a little building in Tinley Park, Illinois, uh, you know, into a bigger building in Orland Park, into a bigger building in Orland Park, into a campus at Lockport, into a campus at Homer, into a campus at New Lenox, into all these things. There were these little groups of people who said, God, we don't know how we're going to do this. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to bring you what we've got. And watch what you do. And we sit back, those of us who've been on that journey, those of you who have been on that journey, we sit back and we're like, man, this is unbelievable. There's no way I can take credit because this is a work of God. It's been unbelievable what you've done. And you know what? We're all real happy that you're here and that you're a part of what's going on. We really are. That's why we did it. But the other side of that is we had an absolute blast. And we know God in a much deeper way because we got out of the boat and I want to tell you something. You, you, you talk to anybody who's let God, you go, you, you love dropping your kids off at kids ministry and you see those people in their t-shirts and you think, wow, those are super Christians. And they would be, they would say, no, I'm not super Christian. I just showed up with my five loaves and my two fish and God did this. You talk to our rooted experience team leaders who are going to be leading through this. And they're people just like you who went through a pilot program in the spring and learned how to lead this thing. And they're, we're throwing them into leading a group. I mean, the truth is we didn't even ask some of them. We just like kicked them out of the boat and said, you're leading a group. Here's how, how it's going to go. And they're going to have some unbelievably cool stories to tell as God and they partner together. You talk to people who serve on local missions around here or people who've gone on our short-term trips. They are not financially independent super-Christians who have unlimited vacation time. They're just like you. They took vacation. They spent their money. They went to a country that tour, to a place in a country that tourists never go, and they got out of the boat, and they grew like crazy. It was like faith boot camp for them. I was talking to a guy Friday night. He first trip to Africa. He said, and I got there, I got to Nairobi, I got to my room, and I laid down and I thought, I'm just going to get in a cab and I'm going back to the airport. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not up for this. I mean, it's a long way and, and it's, a, it's a crazy journey. It's out of comfort zone. He said, five days later when we left that place, I was transformed. And he's on his way back to Malawi with our group in a, in a couple of weeks because he, he, he could see the value of what was going on. And if you try to get it out of your mind, you say, oh, all I've got is four pieces of bread. I don't even have to say have five. I, I don't know what I can do. All those excuses is like Peter looking back at the wind and looking back at the waves and sinking again. And yeah, there's things that's not going to get done if you don't do it, but that's not the issue. The issue is you. The issue is your faith. If you don't do it, you won't grow. The issue is that God wants to do something in your life through you and in your faith, and you've got to do what you can do and turn it around. You've got to throw your legs over the side of the boat and take a step, even though you don't know anything about walking on water. I mean, who does? So my question is, would you be willing to do what you know how to do and trust God to do what God can do? Would you be willing to do something in the terms of serving and serving service in other people where God is nudging you right now to do what you can do? Because if you're going to experience God in a brand new way, it's going to be because you're partnering with him. And you will grow like crazy and you will have a blast. Or you can keep drinking faith mudslides and wondering why your faith is still flabby. It's up to you. I believe his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his own goodness. I believe that. And listen, let me just say, 
God never asked me to be the pastor of one of the largest churches in America. He never did. He never said, Tim, follow me, and I'll make you the captain of the ocean liner that is Parkview Christian Church. He said, follow me, and I'll make you a fisherman for souls. Follow me is what he said 27 years ago to a little messed up church in a terrible building in a terrible location with no leadership and leave the rest up to me. And it never would have happened if I hadn't gotten out of the boat. And it's never going to happen for you if you don't get out of the boat.